You're listening to Stuff Weekly, episode 546. Cults! You gotta believe! Hello, everybody, and welcome to Stuff Weekly, the show where we take a random theme and give it a shot every week. Uh, I'm Cody Coleman, and uh, I'm the head administrator over the EDOC NameLock Interact Network, and that is where you can go to find past episodes of this show. You can also get, like, new ones delivered straight to you by subscribing to various places like, uh, I don't know, Spotify, iTunes, all sorts of places. Wherever you get your podcast, we're probably there. And if we're not, let me know. I'll fix it. Um, also with me, I have uh, just a, a great lady and the muse of rockers everywhere, Ms. Nikki Wright. Welcome, Nikki. Thank you. Yeah, it's, um, you'd think it'd be really cool having a lot of songs written about you, but it's actually quite a burden because people are like, oh, isn't that song written about you? It's like, yeah, I know. Rock the Casbah <laughs> was written about me. Shut up. And <laughs> you, were, I, you were the Rock the Casbah? God, was I, was the the, I was the Casbah. Oh, yeah. wow. Okay. Good to know. Yeah. I had no um, idea. Yeah. That was so, tough explaining to my parents. Like, were you, <laughs> were you the muse to things before you were even born? Uh-huh. Wow. That's actually really impressive. Yeah. Um, I, you know, it's just part of my magical power, I guess. <laughs> The Beatles are like, ah, there's going to be a muse born soon. This is my inspiration. Exactly. I was the diamonds in Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. <laughs> you weren't Lucy? No. <laughs> you, you were the diamonds? I was the di- That's the most important part of the song, Matthew. It's- <laughs> Who was Lucy? Some bitch. Some named Lucy. <laughs> Yeah, makes sense. <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right, that other voice you hear, he's an all-around funny guy and a man that eats his sugar cereal despite it making his teeth bacterial, Mr. Matt Krua. Welcome, Matt. Thanks. Yeah, no, I... It's a long story, but mm-hmm. I actually actively don't take care of my teeth on purpose. Oh, really? Mm. You like the fuzz? Yes. No, no, gross, no. Um, no, when I was a child... Um, I was told to put my tooth under a pillow. Yeah. And then a magical fairy would come and give me money. Uh-huh. You just want to keep racking it. up all those, those sweet, sweet It was sweet a Canadian quarters. loony. It was garbage. It was trash. Oh! What? I couldn't Bullshit. even use it anywhere. That's a crime. Yeah. Right. And so now, I keep getting rid of my teeth so I can hopefully lure her in and capture <laughs> that fairy and kick her ass. <laughs> <laughs> That's oh right, God. listeners. I'm going to kick the Tooth Fairy's ass. Everyone needs a nemesis, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I never knew Matt's villain origin story. This yeah. Is Here we are. I'm, no, I'm the hero. What? Oh, yeah. She gave me a loony. She did. You're right. She's the villain. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Awesome. Well, also with us, we have uh, a wonderful person, uh, Ms. Amber the Song Lee. Welcome, Amby. Yes, I am the song. I, mm-hmm. uh, I I sing all day long. I am a bird. I sing. I yes. chirp. You also inspired by the muse of Nikki Wright. That's yes. I yeah. yes. Without Nikki, there is no me. Even though I think I am technically older. That's you, oh, like I said, I, I inspired she works music before I was born. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like every song, every song that ever existed. That was Nikki. Yeah, y'all remember yeah. when like Beethoven was like, ah, this person who will be born 200 years later, I shall make her a great etude. He did. <laughs> yeah. It was dope. Mm-hmm. Good, good etude. <laughs> There's also some pretty dirty songs out there, so that makes things oh, a yeah. little awkward. <laughs> oh, know, yeah. It's all it, nasty. It is pretty gross. Well, again, real tough explaining that to my parents. <laughs> right? <Yeah. laughs> Look, mom, I'm sorry for my Sharona. I didn't mean to. It's <laughs> <laughs> it's it's like it's wonderful, like being the subject of you know hero by Enrique Iglesias, but then also you have to be the subject of like my humps. Yeah, <laughs> like it's really weird being the subject of Baby Got Back because I'm like, sure. I, you've you've seen me, guys. Like I'm a piece of cardboard. <laughs> Baby got flat. Yeah, exactly. Listen, you know, Sir Mix a Lot 
he's just that's what he's into it's what he's into you know i get it everyone has their thing yeah right on well speaking of great musicians Speaking of great musicians, that is a perfect segue. See, uh, like I said at the beginning of this episode, we take a different theme every single week. And this time we decided we want to tell you guys the untold stories about some of the bands that you have seen throughout pop culture. And uh, yeah, we- I think like people don't understand, like we do this podcast because it's comedy and funny and stuff. But I think like and I think all four of us would agree that our main passion is is the music. Oh, oh for without sure. a doubt. Yeah, There's and nothing that like like speaks to my soul like the music. The yeah. music. What's behind the music as well? You got to know it. To right, you got to you got to know the business. You got to know the history. You got to know like the, the 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 rise and fall of various rock and rap and I don't know, R&B superstars country. Are we looking at any country? God, I love country. Do we have any of those today? Uh, Fuck not yeah. today, I don't believe so. Well, I mean, kind of. I'm leaving. I mean, I'm leaving. We kind of have some country. Mine, mine covers many, many of things. Yeah. A- Amber's, right, Amber's going to get eclectic today, so. <laughs> gotcha. All right. So, yeah, it's time for us to uh, to talk about some bands you guys uh, know a little bit about, but there, there's more to the story. And uh, I'm going to start us out this week. Because last time we did this, I, I ended it on uh, with a really dark tale. So uh, yeah. well, maybe it'll be a little brighter this time. Um, and I, I'm going to tell you guys the story of the School of Rock. I don't oh, know the, if you've heard the about kids? this band. The kids. The kids yeah. and the, and the uh, adults that, uh, that so was there were, with them. Was that the one where the guy committed the major felony yeah Yeah. it is the one where the guy committed the major felony yes got it we're gonna tell the full story and uh before we can really get to the full felony we have to uh go go beyond go to the past to uh kind of learn how we get there and um so dewey finn uh said felony man uh he found that he had a knack for music at a really young age um there's been lots of stories going around and and legend has it that uh, at four years old he was watching a recording of led zeppelin at his uncle's house he picked up his uncle's guitar and he shredded it like he had several years under his belt so uh you know some might call him a young prodigy right sure yeah i mean i do every day yeah absolutely dewey finn young prodigy and uh at that point his whole goal in life became to learn how to play pretty much any instrument in a rocker's repertoire. Um, drums, guitar, uh, keyboard, uh, vocoder, just anything that might be used in rock, he needed to know how to play it. Uh, and while he was very talented musically, uh, maybe he wasn't so talented in the classroom, right? Uh, some would say he was mostly distracted by his extracurricular pursuits uh, into music, but, um, you know, uh, no one knows for sure. Um, but he he didn't f- completely fail. He still managed to get, though his scores were low, enough to pass on up, and he did make it into high school. Um, and there he decided to uh, form his first band, which he called uh, Miss Johnson's Rejects, because uh, he was in uh, Ms. Johnson's class. And uh, while he was there, he uh, they they played various songs and, and got pretty good, and they decided that they wanted to um, start having actual gigs. And in his first gig, it was at this festival that another member of the band's moms sort of put together, and uh, they, they wanted to perform. And another band that was also performing had a, a man, uh, well, kid at that point, um, named Ned Schneebly, who uh, was also performing. And the two met, and they bonded over um, their love of music, and they became what was uh, likely going to become lifelong friends. And that's sweet, right? You know, you yeah. love a story about friendship. Yeah. I mean, I I love most stories. I, there are bad stories about friendship. There are stories about friendship I don't love. Yeah? Name like, one. Like, 
Like that lady who fell in love with Charles Manson while he was in jail. That was pretty bad. Yeah, that was yeah. pretty shitty. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. was a really that was a twisted friendship. friendship they were fucking. Yeah, that's yeah. that's friends a friends with benefits. That's a fuck yeah. ship. That's yeah. not. Do you not consider not, your lovers friends? Okay. Well, I mean, wow. that's not just traditional friends, but I mean, I guess it's still a friend. So yeah, it's, it's fucked up that you don't think your wife is a friend. Cody. Oh, she's she's the greatest friend. She's my favorite. <laughs> 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 the greatest friend. <laughs> Smooth recovery. So Dewey, Dewey met Ned, and this is that's the story yeah. of how Dewey met Ned. Uh, though, while um, they did ultimately uh, graduate, um, Dewey decided instead of uh, pursuing uh, collegiate uh, responsibilities, he would instead try to focus on uh, becoming uh, a strong musician and, and a famous rocker. Ned. Uh, he actually grew a love of sort of knowledge and imparting that on other people. So he he decided to focus a little less on music and focus a little more on uh, becoming a teacher. And uh, Matt, you you know the love of teaching. Ned also had a love of teaching. Oh God, that's terrible. I'm so sorry for him. <laughs> yeah, that's right. What's wrong with him? Uh, he went through school. He became a substitute, though. He didn't become a full-on. Oh, teacher. yeah. I don't oh, know how worse. different that is. Is it worse? It's worse. Oh, I'm sorry. He's a substitute. He loved it. Oh, yeah. Oh, I don't even want to think about it. Oh, it's making me sick. Oh, I'm so sorry. All right. I'll, oh, I'll, I'll move oh on. God. Please. Uh, while while Ned was uh, going through his initial studies, he met a lady named Patty, and the two of them uh, became very close and uh, became lovers, and ultimately moved in to each other, uh, to each other with each they other. They moved into each other. <laughs> they moved into each other. They collided. Like I bet, I bet they did. <laughs> I mean, probably, yeah. Probably. Yeah, at least a few times. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, Dewey. Through his time, uh, he started and ended multiple bands um, and took part in several dead-end jobs uh, before deciding to quit entirely uh, the workforce and focus uh, on his newest band named No Vacancy. Um, To sort of make living not impossible, he moved in with his friend Ned and his girlfriend Patty. And uh, uh, No Vacancy would then go on to get multiple gigs, but the band grew frustrated. They grew frustrated with Dewey, his egotistical personality, his spotlight-stealing, impromptu 20-minute guitar solos. And uh, after um, diving off of a stage in a drunken stupor and falling flat on his face and having to therefore cancel the show, uh, the band told Dewey, I know that the Battle of the Bands audition is in three weeks, but you got to go. And this is the story that everyone pretty much knows. This is where we begin that story. And I'll I'll go through a quick recap of it. But um, though he quit, Patty started, uh, or though he was kicked out, Patty started demanding that he start paying rent because he wasn't up until that point. And he needed to get a job. And while he was home one day, he gets a call uh, intended for Ned uh, with a a private school substitute gig and he pretended to be that Ned and go to that school and teach those children despite not really being who he said he was. So he stole an identity um, to, to go do this uh, job and he didn't intend to teach anything at first, but after he heard the students playing their instruments in their music class, he, he got a scheme a brewing in his head and that mm-hmm. was, he was going to turn them into his band so he could win Battle of the Bands and start on being a gigantic rocker. And uh, so he started teaching all of these kids about different rock and roll uh, elements um, to uh, make them into a fantastic band. Uh, there was Zach Mooneyham, who became the guitarist. Freddie Jones, who became a drummer. Uh, Katie, some last name, that became the ba- bassist. Lawrence, some last name, that became the keyboardist. Uh, he took the role of lead vocals and guitar. Summer Hathaway became their manager. And the rest became, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, security, backup singers, fashion designers, and roadies. 
So he he's putting them to work. Um, which yeah, is, are they getting paid? They are not getting paid. Is under what? the guise of child schooling. Labor. It is. Yeah. He 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 started okay. child laboring these kids, which is despicable to some some might say. Uh, he tricked the principal into letting them go on a field trip, which he used to audition for the Battle of the Bands. Um, the Battle of the Bands accepted their audition, um, and then they decided that they would play at the actual battle a song that had been written by their guitarist, Zach. So Zach wrote a song, and they really loved it, and they decided that's going to be the song that we're going to play at the battle, the band battle. Though before they could get there, Dewey, he's caught during a parent-teacher conference. They find out this is not Ned Schneebly because Patty turned him into the police after finding out what he was doing. So uh, Patty and the cops showed up to arrest uh, Dewey. Um, But for some reason, he doesn't actually get arrested. He just kind of is kicked out of the apartment and he lives in his car for some reason. I don't really know why. Um, but, uh, the kids do show up, uh, for some reason on the day of the battle of the bands after, uh, a long, um, uh, ruse and make Dewey come do the battle of the bands with them, which I guess they had Stockholm syndrome to some extent. I don't know, but, uh, they, they were on his side. So they do the battle. The battle is successful. They, they win. Everyone cheers. Uh, and the parents who found out and showed up at the battle, they seem to be perfectly okay with the kidnapping and identity theft and decide not to press charges. And that's the end of the movie that we that we know. <laughs> yeah, I, I saw that. I saw that biopic. Yeah, like, that biopic. Yeah, yeah. yeah like, they like released it, one. I feel like I, I feel like it painted them in a like really positive light. But everything you're saying sounds horrible. It does yeah, sound horrible. Terrible. Yeah. yeah, and uh, you know. The movie, uh, after the biopic ended, there's a lot more story left to tell. The years go by, and uh, Dewey creates an actual school of rock. Ned, who was upset with Patty for uh, calling Dewey out on his shit, uh, leaves her and joins the school of rock as a teacher. All of the parents allow their kids to go be taught by this man in the real-life school of rock. And uh, things seem to be going on okay. He's not getting his comeuppance at all. But eventually, the kids graduate the the school of rock. Um, the original uh, kid uh, keyboardist Lawrence, his dad ended up actually going back on his newfound encouragement and began discouraging rock music. So he became a uh, very um, unhappy but famous class- classical pianist at a, a young age. Uh, Katie started a career as a one woman singer songwriter, but the only instrument that she ever included was bass guitar. So, um, and she couldn't really all sing all that well. So it, it didn't go very well for her and she sort of faded into obscurity. Um, Summer gave up on the idea of managing musicians and instead became a lawyer. Uh, and Zach, the guitarist, and Freddie, the drummer, they, they joined forces and started their own band. And they became famous in their own right. They did actually really well. And over the years, uh, Dewey and Ned's school started to kind of not do so well. Uh, what was originally very good for them start, stopped being quite so good. And uh, they, saw, they saw a way out at that point. Dewey had another scheme in mind. See, Zach and Freddie's band started performing the song that Zach wrote during the School of Rock. And uh, it was the one they performed at the Battle of the Bands. And Dewey dug out the uh, contract their parents signed when they signed him up for the Battle of the Bands, indicating that anything made uh, written under the tutelage of Dewey was property of the School of Rock. So he sued them. Which, maybe not great, right? Sort of underhanded. Uh, but um, they they hired Summer, uh, Freddie and Zach did, to be their uh, lawyer. And uh, they argued that the song was actually written before the school was formed, so they couldn't retroactively claim ownership of something made during the identity theft era. 
They also uh, countersued for the trauma that was inflicted later in life as they realized the man that entered their school essentially kidnapped them several times. And uh, they sort of told their initial acceptance was Stockholm Syndrome. uh, And they no longer thought it was cool. The judge did, in fact, side (laughs) with the students. And uh, Dewey was sentenced to prison. And Zach and Freddie became astronomically successful. I don't know uh, if you've heard of them, uh, but they they were very successful. And uh, yeah, so that's really the story of School of Rock. It doesn't have the happy ending, the biopic uh, indicated, unless you want to call having a man who uh, kidnapped children and did identity theft as uh, being arrested as a happy ending, which, you know, not particularly. They, he, he finally got caught. Finally, like, got his I, like the fact that he he did get to go to jail is good. Yes, um, but like, uh, there was a lot of lasting damage done. Yeah, For absolutely. Sure. Poor kids, right? Yeah, but I'm glad that that uh, some of them went on to be uh, re- pretty successful. So, For sure. For sure. Yeah. And that's it. That's all I've got. Uh, uh, I had no idea. Yeah, yeah, that's like actually the, really tragic, honestly. It is, yeah. He's so, glad he's in prison. Yeah, that's why you don't hear from Dewey anymore, despite being uh, musically talented. Um, yeah. He was well. just uh, <laughs> put put in the hooskow, so. Yeah, you can be musically talented, but I mean, like, you know, so it doesn't now matter. He's a, You're a criminal. So right. Look out for, for his com- his comeback story, Jail of Rock. Yeah, exactly. Uh, uh-huh. He's yeah. gonna. He's mm-hmm. probably gonna start a school there. Teach some yeah. inmates. Win the battle of the bands, the the battle of the criminal bands. Yes. Yeah. Right. That's uh. That's all for School of Rock. Amber, you wanna, you wanna I go will, next? Uh, I will go next. All right. We're going back in time, you guys. Oh boy! I did that first. So excited. Yes. We're gonna go back in time. The year. Is 1980. And Billy Bob Broccoli. Billy Bob Broccoli? Brock, Brock, Brock Ali. Oh, okay. Brock Ali. Uh, Brock, (laughs) there are four names? Billy Bob Brock Ali. Brock Ali. Okay. But Brock Ali is one name. Oh, hold on. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, quick aneurysm. All right, we're done. Let's go. (laughs) Billy Bob Broccoli. And his newly formed band have just signed a deal for a new gig with a restaurant. But little oh did they know that's, that signing with Showbiz Pizza was going to be both their big break, but also their eventual doom. Not just downfall, doom. Doom. Wow. Oh. It all started well enough. I mean, they were got this great job. They were a house band covering songs. Well, you know, parents ignored their kids while they ate pizza. It was the early 80s, so, you know. Sure. Too, too busy too busy with 1980s gigantic cell phones that were attached to suitcases to pay attention sure. to their children. We've been there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, but, you know, it was all about the music for them, so it didn't matter that they were singing for, you know, yuppies and their kids. Uh, it was about him and his pals. They had come together from different walks of life, different bands, uh, Billy Bob himself, he had was originally from the uh, Hard Luck, the Hard Luck Bears band. Um, uh, most of his, his, I've heard his of fellow, them. most of his fellow band members were actually from uh, the the Wolfpack Five, but uh, they they all came together to break the ties of their old bands and come together to form the Rock of Fire Explosion. Whoa, that is a intense name. That is an extremely, very night, very early 1980s. Very uh, early 1980s. Rock of Fire. They were there explode. to rock. I think my dad listened to some Rock of Fire. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, most of Rock of Fire was a cover band. They did not have perform their own original music right. from covers, but they were rocking, rocking covers. Nice. Rocking covers. We got, got to go over, of course, the lineup of the band. Sure. Uh, you had Billy Bob, uh, who was the bass and vocalist. Um, and uh, then we had Looney, Looney Bird on vocals. Uh, very close friends. Uh, Looney came with Billy, uh, not from Hard Luck Bears, but uh, just from from life themselves. They're very close friends. Okay. Uh, then you had uh, Duke LaRue, uh, who was on the, the drums and, and vocals, uh, who was... Uh, 
uh, an aspiring space traveler, but you know, he was he, <laughs> so he used his spaced out atmosphere to you know space into the music. Sure, I don't know what the fuck that means, but you know, <laughs> it means something. <laughs> cool. Then you had uh, Fats Geronimo on keyboards and vocals, uh, Beach Bear on guitars and vocals. Everybody was on vocals. Uh, Everybody sang Mits- in this band. Mitzi Mozzarella. It's a fucking chorus. Mitzi Mozzarella. I'm sorry. Go on. <laughs> Mitzi Mozzarella was on vocals, uh, was uh, the uh, the mouse and cheerleader, the youngest member of the band. She was a, a teenager, the teenage singer, but, you know, had to get that, like, that, like, young demographic in For there. For sure, yeah. Uh, and then you also had Rolf DeWolf and Earl Schmerl. I I am not making these up, by the way. <laughs> Earl Schmerl? <laughs> Earl Schmerl. Uh, this band has well, some see, unfortunately named people. It really well, Rolf, does. Yeah, Rolf DeWolf uh, was actually uh, a ventriloquist, and Earl Schmerl was his dummy. Um, you know, add a little comedy in there. They weren't just... See, that's the thing. Over the years, they weren't just a band. They were an entertainment experience. That was just like the starting band. I mean, they really, over the years, they added additional, they added backup singers of Sun and Moon. Perhaps you've heard of them. I mean, I've heard of the Sun and the Moon. The Sky. They went on to do other things after the band, probably. (laughs) Right, right. Well, we'll get to that. Oh, okay. Uh, There was uh, Attitude, the birthday spider. Sorry, Nikki. uh, I didn't, I did not say that word. (laughs) (laughs) I heard she nothing. can't see it. It's fine. <laughs> Good. Choo Choo, the bear cub, um, and then Birthday Bird, and then also Uncle Cluck as well, who was the uh, was the only human in, the, in this Cluck. Uncle Cluck. Uncle <laughs> Cluck. Okay. Neat. That Again, sounds racist, right? Uh, yeah. Does it sound yeah, racist uh, to anyone? Maybe, maybe a little bit, yeah. Little bit. You know, I wasn't thinking about it being racist, but now that you mention it, I was mostly thinking that, like, you know, I don't want the wor- a word that sounds like cock anywhere near the word uncle. Also but, good. Also yeah, true. Yeah. Well, put a pin in that for later. Uh, oh, I don't want, let's oh, take no. the pin out. <laughs> well, yep. that, that's an off-show, an off-show detail that is just funny you mentioned that. But anyways, so... Uh, Okay. Rockafire, like they were riding high for the first couple of years, like at at their as their the pizza band. Now Billy Bob was the original founder of the band, but he was doing so well. He actually, while p- still part of the band, did not really front the band anymore. Uh, that was uh, Fat Geronimo took over for that. Okay. Uh, he he became kind of the leader of it all, while Billy Bob actually became the head of showbiz pizza. Like, he was, like, the one. He was the face of showbiz pizza. So, while he was still part of the band, you know, he had bigger fish to fry, like his competitor out there. Oh, shit. You see, you see, showbiz pizza was not the only family-friendly pizza entertainment business in the 1980s. Wait, really? They weren't? No. I don't remember there being... Any other way to get pizza, even? No, I mean, yeah, I mean, the pe- I mean, it was the early, it was the early eighties, you know. It was all just cocaine, sex, and pizza. Yeah, um, <laughs> that's the world I was born into. <laughs> exactly, but no, you see, in the early, in the mid, early, in the mid early nineteen eighties, uh huh, you have to enter Charles Entertainment Cheese. I'm not entering him at all. What do we do? What are, what are you entering people on this show? I don't know, but <laughs> no, but not enter entertainment. Oh, okay, got it, got it, got it. Charles Entertainment Cheese, also known as the leader of Chuck E. Cheese Pizza Time Theater. Is that a stage he, name? It, well, it, his his actual legal name is Charles Entertainment Cheese, but he goes by Chuck E. Cheese. Again, a thing that I am not making up. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, he, but, you know, he had to stick it to his parents. Yeah. Yeah. Makes, makes sense. Yeah. Like, I'm not going by my, my given name, mom and dad. Who names their rat son with a middle name of entertainment? It's like they were telling him what they wanted him to do. And Who names their rat son full stop? 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, like Stuart Little's parents, I guess. I guess, yeah. yeah. Maybe, maybe this is like a distant cousin. Maybe they're distant cousins. I did maybe. I did not look up that deep into, into sure, uh, sure. Chucky's family tree. But you see, uh, Charles had his own band, the Chuck E. Cheese Pizza Time Theater. It really wasn't so much a band as so much they did like variety shows. They were kind of like an improv group in the early 1980s. Okay. So, you know, a, a musical improv group? Sort of. They They were jazz they, musicians? No, not really. <laughs> they they performed comedy skits while oh. inside picture frames on a wall. Do what now? They did a lot of acid, didn't they? <laughs> yeah. I, I said Cocaine, sex, and pizza. 1980s. It's like the tagline. 1980s. Cocaine, sex, and pizza. That's like that could be the, that could be the title of the movie that this that they they make about what happens between these two. Sure. But uh, you know he had people in his band: uh, Pasquale, the singing chef, uh, Jasper K- Jasper T. Jowls. We're gonna uh, need next time we do this. To not have bands with four million members. <laughs> sure. I can't keep track of all these people in both of your bands. Who are any of these people? <laughs> well, she's telling Calm us. Calm down, Jerry. It'll be fine. There's like, there's, no, there's like, there's like, oh, here's Jerry Sausage. And here's like Timmy Two Pizzas. And here's like <laughs> Chest, Chester Cheese Man. And like, okay, you're just naming. Who are why? Like, are they dead? I want to know. <laughs> can they be? Well, <laughs> there's a whole, well. there's a whole Charles Entertainment Cheese cinematic universe here. <laughs> hey, <laughs> what would so that goes? No, actually, sorry, I just, I just made something terrible coming hey. to existence. Yes, I, sir. Please, yes, you did. Yeah, I, edit you edit that out. Edit the, hey, um, Scott in production, can you edit this? Thanks, Scott. Thanks. Oh, Scott's gonna, God, Scott's gonna edit just... it out. You just, Scott's you the just hero. Willed that into existence. Um, uh, and then also Dolly Dimples the Hippopotamus. Uh, anyways, uh, so in, in the mid-1980s, uh, while Showbiz Pizza was doing well for itself, with the, in, with the introduction of Chuck E. Cheese, they found themselves in such competition that both businesses were suffering because they both offered very similar services. Though, of course, Rock of Fire Explosion was the much more famous band, kind of giving the little bit of an edge to uh, showbiz pizza. In fact, uh, when the company of Pizza Time Theater, again, Chucky's company, went bankrupt in 1984, showbiz pizza actually bought the company, hoping oh. that uh, this integration of... Uh, new talent and merchandising opportunities could save both companies. So, Aquahire. You you would think that, uh, you know, since Showbiz bought Pizza Time, that it would become, you know, integrating show like Pizza Times into Showbiz. Sure. But that's not, unfortunately, what happened. Oh, no. You see, the rat took over. The ah. rat rose up and the rat decided that it was time for concept unification this is where the thunder and the lightning that's a that's a threat yeah this is (laughs) just like like a rat thunder lightning (laughs) children babies crying women screaming uh because beginning in september of 1990 the members of rock of fire explosion suddenly just started to change. No. And by change, Physically? I mean <laughs> their skin was ripped Kafka. off and they were turned into oh my God. pizza time theater. What? Oh my God. Oh, that is right, my friend. Duke Duke was, was forcefully made into Pasquale. Looney Bird was made into a pizza camera. Beach Fair <laughs> was forcefully made into Jasper T. Jowls, and Fats, Fats became Mr. Munch. Every single person from Rock of Fire Explosion was forcefully turned into an already pre-existing, they were basically wiped off the map altogether. Jesus Christ! And, and Charles E. Cheese rose up as their leader. But you have to wonder, what happened then? To the I don't original, know that I want the to founder wonder, to be honest. of Pizza Time of of Pizza of Rock of Fire Explosion, Billy Bob. 
Billy that, Bob. That was I forgot all... about Billy Bob. Billy Bob was where this all came from. Billy Bob. Eminem would be so disappointed that I forgot about Billy Bob. <laughs> Billy Bob was not even brought into the picture. Billy they Bob. They didn't even have the Billy Bob was thrown out. Along they may with cheese him. Yeah. <sighs> Gone. Jeez. Sold or destroyed, melted down. Pieces of him used towards the production of the other characters. At least he didn't get a new skin suit. It sounds like he might have gotten the better end of the deal. Potentially, yes. <laughs> and then that was it. These former shells of themselves were now new shells of new characters that also happen to be pre-existing characters, which is very complicated. In the, it, it's, it's a very complicated cinematic universe. But right. uh, they were just forced to play, All right. play the music. That once filled their souls with such joy, but the rock was gone, and it was just, just pizza and and arcade <laughs> machines, and sadness. And then beginning in 1998, pizza, arcade machines, and sadness is the title of my book, and I am going to sue you. <laughs> uh, beginning in 1998, they started getting phased out as well. They started breaking down, and Chucky decided that he needed to be the sole star of the show. Little by little, the band was removed until, eventually, the cheese stood alone, quite literally, as Charles E. Cheese now reigns over his restaurant solo. Nothing else there, and nothing but the music, a distant memory. Wait, is that accurate? Does Chuck E. Cheese only have Chuck E. Cheese now? Yeah, no, that's completely accurate. There are still some located, like, actual actual thing. Um, By the way, none of this is fake. This Jeez, is crazy. all what? actual lore of the Chuck E. The Chuck E. Cheese animatronics have actual freaking lore, you guys. They were skinned. <laughs> They were skinned. They skinned the rock of fire explosion to make the, uh, okay. the, the name of it the Munch's Make Believe Band. Did you say someone name. became a pizza camera? Yeah, I've been did. sitting. I've been like just stewing on that for ten minutes. <laughs> yep, Loomy Bird became I pizza No, I don't. Cam. I don't want an explanation of it. I just want to know if that's a true thing, and then I would like to put my hat and coat on and leave. Thank you. <laughs> <You're> <laughs> Uh, some of the ones that I skipped over. Uh, Sun became the building. I don't understand what that means. But. Uh, okay. Yeah. I think Sun became what makes our our world not die. But uh, cool. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That is actually it. Actually, most Chuck E. Cheese locations either have a single Chuck E. Cheese animatronic or just a dude in a Chuck E. costume. Okay. Yeah. Things are different from when I was a kid. All right, so uh, we have the the rock of fire explosion uh, exploded. And they're in a fucking dark ass story. <laughs> and, you think uh, you're the only one that can have dark bands no, on the show? Yeah, Cody? apparently. God, yeah. I felt bad about the, the chipmunk story, but okay. <laughs> hey, Matt, tell us about your band. All right, I don't. I don't have a band. I didn't you bring a band. You didn't bring a right? band? I didn't bring a band. I brought a musical experience. Oh, okay. Well, all right. Tell us about y'all. Y'all are talking about bands. You're talking for Cody. You talked about a criminal. I did. Amber, you talked about animatronics at a children's restaurant. I'm here to talk about a movement. Okay. Okay. okay? Because if you were alive in the early 90s, there is no way you escaped this. I'm going to say Titan of music. There is no way that you were able to say drive to school or drive to work without hearing one of his songs in like from that 1990 to 1995 period. And in my mind, this is one of the unsung heroes of the musical industry. And I'm just honestly really happy to get to tell a story here on this show. Um, I'm so excited to I, hear it. When I was a kid, I was a big fan. I was just a, I was just a huge fan. 
Um, uh-huh. And so being able to do this dirt, this deep dive, um, and, and a lot of this is public knowledge, obviously. Um, but a lot, being able to do, do this deep dive really like meant a lot to me. Um, so uh, hopefully, I can we can get this podcast in front of him um, and get him to listen to this because I I don't know I just I, I <laughs> sorry I'm gushing a little bit. Um, I, I gotta know who about, it is. I want to talk about Parappa the Rapper today. Oh my oh, god! Wow. Shit. Yeah, yeah dude. Yeah. I I know it's a big one. I normally we try to do like the stuff that you don't know, um, but um, I'm going to sort of tell you the story today of Parappa the Rapper. Um, you got to believe. Which you might not have known after he sort of fell out of the public eye. So we need some background first. Okay. Sure. Um, yeah. Parappa. Uh, and this is all according to uh, Wikipedia, his personal Wikipedia page. Which got edited a bunch in like the early 2000s by a bunch of like shit heel teenagers. Uh, so it's hard to know exactly what is right. But um, he was born in uh, Parappa City, California. Um, and while he was in his childhood there, he, you know, went to school um, and listened to a lot of other rappers of the 80s who sort of influenced his style. And if you look at the style that Parappa put forward, which, of course, inspired many other rappers after him, uh, you can see that sort of through line from Run DMC, Public Enemy, Grandmaster Flash, to this young kid from inner city California, right? And when Parappa was in high school, he put together his first mixtape. Uh, and he wrote it like so many people have written songs for in high school for a girl. Um, yeah, so... Uh, he was smitten with uh, a socialite named Sunny Funny, and uh, she, you know, didn't really give him the time of day. She was super nice to him, but like mm-hmm. he, he, he wanted to do something that would win her heart. Um, and so he wrote this mixtape for her that eventually ended up being dropped by in front of a record producer who said, "We got to get you in a studio. This is gold. This is great." Um, so we had Parappa and his writing partner, PJ DJ, um, who worked on this album together. And that's the classic. That's the one that I think most people know. Um, I, I, I had it on tape. Uh, you gotta believe just like a classic, a classic. I had that one too. Yeah. Who didn't have a copy? You gotta believe, um, his hit singles, uh, it's all in the mind. And you gotta believe were number one for twenty weeks, number one and number two respectively. Um, and like holding the number one and number two slot is not something any other rap act has ever been able to do. Um, and so, like, and, and you gotta understand, he's eighteen when he's doing this. He's eighteen yeah. years old. Like, that's on his own right. Right, exactly. Um, and so. From there, it was pretty much, you know, the whirlwind, right? You've got this 18-year-old puppy. You've got this teddy bear DJ. And he brings along Sonny with him. uh, And they go on this sort of, you know, big uh, PR tour. You're hitting Yo! MTV raps. You're hitting the daytime talk shows. I I mean, there's this hilarious interview with Parappa on Regis and Kathy Lee where uh, Regis is trying to, like, stump him. With like all these like you know big you know northeast coast references, but Parappa was well learned. He knew stuff, and so like Regis is like, it's it's you got to watch it. Find it on YouTube. Anyway, (laughs) um, so that first tour was in 1993, Mm -hmm. um, and he toured along with a, a thrash band from SoCal called Milk Can. Um, and it was, yeah, if you've never heard of Milk Can, they never really hit it big. Um, that was, uh, the project of, uh, Lammy who, uh, she, you know, she kind of did some things here and there. Uh, she played for Smashing Pumpkins for a while. Um, but, uh, for the most part, her, her main claim to fame is, you know, touring with Milk Can and the fact that they opened for Parappa and not only open, they played as a backing group. So you're in 1993, you're going to go see a rap concert and suddenly you're hearing shredding guitars. You're hearing like these, these loud cacophony of drums and unexpected. I would say uh, unexpected because 
the rap rock craze isn't going to happen until like 99, 98, mm-hmm. 99, right? This is five years earlier. The, Parappa invents an entire genre wow. of music. I had Bring, no idea. Like, again, yeah, you're going from Run DMC to like, say, you know, like Corn or something in the, in the 90s, right? Or like Limp Bizkit. Um, and Parappa's the middle. He's the missing link between those two. Which is, you know, uh, he doesn't get the credit he deserves for that, I think. Um, but you see Parappa on tour. Uh, his uh, It's All on the Mind tour uh, lasted for about a year and a half. Uh, it was a worldwide tour. And mm-hmm. you're 18. You're just out of high school. Um, you're getting millions of dollars. I mean, it's it, it's hard to manage that money, right? Absolutely. I would imagine, yeah. For sure. I mean, like, I don't know if I'm... 18-year-old <laughs> me would have no idea what to do with a million dollars. Oh, right. sure. Um, well, uh, lots of ice cream, probably. Well, I mean, listen. I've, I've done my fair share of uh, the, the ice cream in my day, you know? You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> yeah, of course, and, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, we've all been there. But um, there are there were two major things that happened on this tour that would sort of affect the trajectory of his career. Um, the first is the affair that he had with uh, Lauren Hill of the Fugees. Oh. Oh, wow. Yeah. Now, um, the Fugees, of course, known uh, at the time for their big hit, Killing Me Softly. Mm-hmm. Um, Parappa, <laughs> this is kind of robbing the cradle for, for Lauren Hill. Um, and she and he were caught, um, backstage by Sunny Funny, and it appeared in all the tabloids at the time, um, it was kind of a, a mini scandal. Um, but this kind of, you know, took a lot of the positivity out of his message because he had a very positive message. He was like, you know, these songs, you've got to believe it's all in the mind. It's about like being yourself and building yourself up. And then you've got this guy who's unfaithful. You know, um, Parappa, and, and he would later go on uh, to talk about it, like you know, decades down the line, about how you know he was young, it was a mistake, he was stupid, he didn't know what he had, right? But nevertheless, this was the start of the dominoes kind of falling, right? You see this public that's all behind the message, and suddenly they're they're disappointed in him, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, like so many musical artists, he turns to drink, he turns to drugs, he turns to groupies, he turns to whatever to get him through each show. Um, but, you know, none of that's super out of the ordinary. The major, the next major, like, brouhaha is when he does have that public beef with another rapper. Um, I think I may vaguely remember what you're talking about. Yeah, so this was, okay, so this was on an episode of Saturday Night Live. Where Parappa was the host and musical guest. And always a good he, idea. Right, right. Those, those always work out. And he's uh, doing his monologue at the beginning of the show. And he makes this joke about the Wu-Tang Clan. And as we all know, Wu ain't nothing to fuck with. No. Yeah, no. that's... Man, okay. And, Is that where that song came from? Yeah, well, it's from the fact that they're, they're, they ain't nothing to fuck with. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. It's, it's, it's from the truth and the fact. <laughs> sure. Um, yeah. And so uh, Parappa and uh, one specific member of the Wu-Tang Clan traded diss tracks back and forth for the next, like, eight months. Uh, and, of course, we know that was Old Dirty Bastard, a.k.a. Dirt McGirt, a.k.a. Aeson Unique, a.k.a. Joe Bananas, a.k.a. The Specialist, a.k.a. Dirt Dog, a.k.a. Osiris, a.k.a. Knifey McStab, a.k.a. <laughs> Big Baby Jesus. Um, I love that those are all very real. Yeah, well, yeah, well I, I just, it's important that you say all of his names. You need to put respect on his names. You it's do. <laughs> yeah. You do. Yeah, it's, you gotta name the lineage of, of the name before you right. can, yeah. Right, exactly. And the, you know, this beef was, again, it was just kind of like a lot of the diss tracks they recorded about each other were just really personal, really kind of nasty. And again, it tarnished that like wholesome image that he had, you know. Um, And so by the time 
he needs to record a second album. It's 1996, and he gets this album out, Ice Cream Parappa 2. Um, and it just is, it, it doesn't have the staying power. Um, not only is, you know, his brand of positive rap being outshone by the, you know, the heavy gangster rap influence of the mid nineties. Um, it's also that his image has just been like, you know, people think he's a fake. People think he's phony. Yeah. You know, which like part of that is true. Um, but I mean, the message that he like when he originally wrote these songs, it was it was not, you know, it was not fake. It was to spread this message of joy that he had. Um, they released one single from the album, Got to Move, and it is on TRL for one week. One week on TRL at number 10. Um, and it does not, it does not make an impression. Um, and in fact, the very next week, Carson Daly makes fun of the song for oh. having fallen off the charts. Um, that's not very professional. It's embarrassing. Well, Carson Daly was never very professional. That's fair. Um, fair. Yeah. And so he, you know. Tries he he tries a tour it doesn't really take off so he starts playing smaller shows, um tries a few you know state fairs residencies here and there, um but like things are kind of looking down right, um and in 1999 he talks to uh you know his his friends talks to PJ DJ uh, who convinces him to invest in a dot com stock, uh dogpile dot com. Which Parappa is very interested in investing in because he is a dog. Uh, understandable, sure, right? Yeah. Um, and Parappa was a great search engine back in the day. Oh, fan, like maybe the best, right? Um, and he invests all this money in dog bile. Um, and PJ DJ convinces him to do this, and this is like a week before PJ DJ, his writing partner, is shot to death outside of a Los Angeles nightclub. Now, yeah, that was so sad. That was an unsolved murder. Uh, there were always rumors that Suge Knight was involved. Um, but, uh, you know, there's like the sense of loss for Parappa. He doesn't he doesn't care about the music anymore. And when Dogpile goes under, when the dot-com crash happens and he loses the majority of his money, he's content to sort of fade out of sight. Um, and that's where most people kind of like lose track of Parappa. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, for the majority of the 2000s, he was destitute, you know, living on couches in LA, um, doing, a doing a beat here and there. Um, but for the most part, you know, he, he disappeared from public sight. Um, and for someone whose message affected so many who influenced rap and music and culture so much, it was just a shame that he, you know, he couldn't hold it together, you know? It's very sad. It was. It was very sad. Um, and, and and a lot of people don't bother to find out what happened to Prepa because um, it was in 2009 when he came back to the public eye and it was controversial. Um, there was this Hollywood religious organization that some people call a cult. Um, he referred to it as just a religious group. Um, and it was a bunch of people who followed this guru named Chop Chop Master Onion. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, for like, while there was a lot of hearsay about the, you know, it's a Ponzi scheme, it's this and that. Um, Parappa seemed to come out of it a changed man. You know, uh, he appeared back on the scene and he tried to preach the message for a little bit, but for the most part, he just wanted to start his life again. He wanted to be who he was. Cults. You um, gotta believe. You, know? you gotta believe, right? Um, he started producing a few albums here and there. Um, he was a producer on B-Rabbit's first album uh, from 2013, which was just like a huge, massive hit. Um, and seeing, you know, perhaps his name in the liner notes, for me personally, it was just a joy. Um, but he hasn't actually performed or recorded an album since he's content to work behind the scenes. Um, he is, you know, supposedly, um, on good terms with Sonny Funny and, uh, the trial that they share. Um, well, that's good. And, yeah. Which is, which is fantastic. You know, yeah. um, that's what you like to see. 
And I uh, I emailed Prappa actually before we did the oh, show. Really? Uh, oh, really? Oh, really? Okay. To hear from him. Yeah. Um, and uh, I just asked, "How are you doing? Um, I'm doing a a, a a segment on you on our podcast. Um, is there anything you'd like to say?" Uh, and he replied, and I'm just going to read the email verbatim. Um, kick, 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 chop, 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 <laughs> block, 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 punch, 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 punch. And uh, then at the bottom, it said Parappa, the rapper, host of podcast Parappa, the podcaster on Earwolf and host of Kick Punch. It's all in the top 40 hits on Sirius Satellite Radio. Um, <laughs> so he had an, e- an email signature, which was nice. Um, but yeah, so it seems like he's doing good. It seems like he's doing good. And uh, I don't know. Godspeed, Parappa. You're uh, a hero of mine, at the very least, if not millions of other people. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Man, such a such a, you know, interesting story. I mean, listen, he's he's led an interesting life. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, I'm I'm sorry things didn't really end up better for him, but uh he sounds like he has a lot of shows going on, so that's good. Yeah. All right. Uh hey, Nikki, finish us out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, gosh. Um, you guys have taken us kind of to the past, um, and I'm gonna, I mean, still gonna go to the past, but, like, uh, into the not-too-distant past. So, um, I'm gonna talk about the Beats. Oh! oh you yeah. all know the Beats. I yeah! Oh, Yeah! They, they were really popular in the 90s, and they kind of fizzled in the early 2000s, and a lot of people really, like, after... I think I would say after like 1999, they kind of um, dropped from a lot of people's radars. Yeah, I haven't um, heard from them in a long time. Right. And they were everywhere. So I'm not going to bore anybody with like, you know, the setup or anything. You know, the beats. We all loved the beats. I think all of us at some point in our lives were in a crowd chanting, we want the beats. We want the beats. For sure. Um, I've done that at least several times during yeah. their straight out of Bluffington tour. Yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah. Um, So I'm going to talk about sort of what happened after they kind of like seemed to go from like worldwide notoriety to like maybe no notoriety. So, you know, we know Mm. that in 1999 they were riding that high and then they kind of dropped off um, despite having continued to release albums. Um, In 2001, in fact, they were touring. Um, They were on their Appetite for Vegetation tour, and there was um, a lot of tension between band members. Um, You know, I'm sure you guys are well aware of the the infamous uh, stage fights between uh, Monroe Yoder, the vocalist, and Flounder, the guitarist. Well, it kind of came to a head um, because, like, Monroe Yoder was kind of asked to be in a commercial without the rest of the band. He became the face of like sugar snap Perios and uh, became increasingly <laughs> late to shows. And like after making everybody wait like hours, like I think the show that that's caused what I'm about to tell you, um, he made everybody wait like two hours. Oh, and when he God. got on stage, yeah, it was some real diva behavior. And um, when he got on stage, uh, he was just fucking up the words to all the songs, long-standing songs, too, that, like, he probably should be able to do in his sleep, but couldn't. Um, anyway, Flounder uh, got so pissed off that he just took his guitar and just smashed it over Monroe's head and walked off the stage. Um, and this wow. was actually the impetus for Flounder's announcement that he was embarking on a solo career. I don't know if you guys remember that. Not I do, really. Actually, yeah. Yes. I, I, I had the album. Oh, you have Parting Isn't Painless? I do, yeah. Oh, did you? I'm sorry. Did you like it? I have it. <laughs> well, um, I mean, Rolling Stone said, quote, if the feeling of disgust and disappointment as you scroll past yet another Facebook picture of the high school quarterback posing shirtless in the gym had a sound, it would be Flounder's much anticipated solo endeavor. And trying too hard to get away from the beats, he has come full circle all the way to their garage band days. Um, Holy not, shit. <laughs> yeah, not not a great review for no, old Flounder. Um, Kevin Whitehead of NPR said it's an, that an especially abysmal highlight is the 17-minute juice in the presser. It's my job to listen to these things in their entirety, but you don't have to suffer like I did. 
Um, so he was having a bad time. It's <laughs> a sick uh, burn. <laughs> yeah. Um, These are sick you know, reviews. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, it's their job to be honest. Sure. Um, but, you know, it wasn't like Yoder was doing much better either. Um, his commercial opportunities dried up. And people just weren't as excited to hear the beats without Flounder. And so they kind of, like, broke up. Um, you know, Chap Lippman was trying to maintain, like, a low profile because, um, you know, this was all happening in, like, the, like, around 2002, 2003. And people were starting to sort of discover, like, um, some old conspiracy theories. Um, I don't know if you knew this, but um, if you have the Beats Me album, uh, there isn't any pictures of Chap Lipman except for one tiny one in the corner. This uh, was because he was having gallbladder surgery around the time they were doing like the promotional stuff for it. Um, And so there are a lot of people who sort of started making some connections that uh, he's dead and has been dead and, uh, you know, he was replaced by Okay. Um, so okay. He, he was trying to maintain a low profile, and um, and Wendy, she was just off like recording like acoustic solo versions of um, their prior hits. They kind of made some waves, but like for the most part, people, you know, they wanted to hear the beats. Yeah. Um, and so, so five years later, um, a mini album called One Sneeze Later sort of began making the rounds in places like Idaho, North Dakota, and oddly, France. Um, and so people began trying to like circulate the album's music, and they discovered like videos that were on the album. Those videos led to websites. It was basically an entire ARG announcing um, <laughs> a return of the Beats tour in 2008. Um, and so... It, you know, Flounder and Yoder were forced to kind of be like, yeah, you know, we've mended fences and we're getting the band back together. And they were pretty much acting like nothing had ever happened. Um, but, uh, you know, it's the Beats. They're all a bunch of egoists. And, right. um, you know, it wasn't long before heads started butting once again. And so in 2009, uh, Yoder uh, again ignited the flames of conflict when he, um, he new to Twitter, um, accidentally, uh, while using Twitter, uh, tried to initiate a Google search. And so a tweet uh, wherein he said, Google.com, new ways to kick out stupid man member, went fucking viral. <laughs> and, um... <laughs> wow. Uh... <laughs> Wow, uh, here's the tweet right here. Uh, Here's the tweet right here. I see it. I'm Um, looking at it. He didn't bother deleting it like a fucking chump. Wow. I mean, but by then, like, the news was out, you know? Uh, Wow, okay. (laughs) Um, (laughs) What a fucking grandpa. (laughs) Super grandpa. Um, What a, you know, acting like the boomer he is, Mm -hmm. was. Um, But, you know, despite the fact that they were fighting... Um, they were contractually obligated to another, um, album and another tour. So, uh, the band got together and awkwardly released, um, their final effort, uh, called, um, gosh, it was, uh, oh, right, uh, Beta Vulgaricity? Um, and they embarked on their Beta Vulgaricity, (laughs) the farewell, we really mean it, we can't stand each other anymore tour. Um, That was quite a tour. Say that again. That's quite a tour name. Like, it's, God, the tickets were huge. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like physically. It's like a physically like a huge. Rece- look like a receipt from CVS. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, they had like the the arguments got so bad that they had to have um, partitions on the stage to separate them. Um, Jesus. Yeah, it was it was real bad. Um, unfortunately, it didn't stop them from coming to blows a bunch. Uh, Chap Lippman had to break up the fight, like a couple of fights. Um, oh. And uh, unfortunately, the last few uh, legs of the tour had to be canceled because they just, you know, they got into some additional physical altercations. Um, some legs were broken. Um, and... Uh, uh, Flounder's wrist was broken to the point where the doctor said, yeah, man, you can't play the guitar anymore. Um, so, you know, that was kind of the the way that the, the beats sort of fizzled out. Um, you know, and, and unfortunately, uh, a couple years later, uh, you know, 
Yoder did pass away. Um, yeah. No, nothing too insidious. It wasn't like drug problems or anything like that. But I mean, you know, you go you go hard for that many years and have that much stress. You know, your heart can't really take it anymore. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the others have sort of slowed down, um, you know, still trying to make some music, still doing some performances and, um, you know, like bars and like you know very low-key like coffee houses and things like that uh but the Beatles or not the Beatles the Beats sort of just let themselves kind of fade into uh has been dree yeah kind of sad yeah. really yeah <laughs> man wow I had no idea like this is quite the story uh I didn't realize so much violence was occurring Oh, they hated each other. Dude. <laughs> oh, my God. Like, they... If you ever saw them live, you can tell. You, you could know. tell. Even and if they like, didn't actually physically fight, you know? Right? Like, they were my first concert. And even back then, I was just like, well, why are they so, like, mad at each other? You know? Wow. The tension was... There was so much of it. Palpable. Yeah. Man. Behind the tofu. Behind y- the tofu. Yayo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yay. Who you? All right. Well, uh, you know, I think I learned a lot today uh, about about your bands. I had I didn't nearly know enough about any of them. So thank you so much for bringing the stories. Yeah. Thanks for letting thanks for letting us tell them. I'm so I'm so excited to be able to do this with you guys again. But uh, but yeah. So you know, we've reached the end of our episode, and uh, I think it's time for us to sign off. Um, I'm Cody Coleman. With me, as always, is Nikki Wright, Matt Cruitt, and Amber Lee. Until next time, guys, don't die. <laughs> <laughs>